Aaron said, we're going to continue in the book of Acts, uh, still in chapter 1. It's going to be a fun series, isn't it? It's a great book, one of the great books of the Bible. So much to learn. We're going to look at tonight, starting in uh, verse 12, going through the end of the chapter. And my title for tonight's lesson is, Let's Flip a Coin. Let's flip a coin. I feel like that's my life some days. Uh, I've spent uh, most of my adult career building businesses. I love building businesses. I've built all kinds. Uh, I've built law businesses and finance businesses and manufacturing businesses. And right now I'm building a healthcare business. And, um, you know, I always love the beginning part of starting a business. I don't know what it is about it, but I, I just enjoy that time when you're doing everything from planning out the finances to buying office supplies and getting garbage cans. There's just something about it that's exciting and new and different. And, you know, you, in the beginning, you haven't had a time to make a whole bunch of mistakes, so everything kind of seems like it's going great. You know, I just love that period of time. But also with starting businesses comes a great deal sometimes of fear. You know, any kind of change in life, you know, nobody really... It doesn't seem like embraces change the way maybe you think you should. Uh, you know, no matter what you're leaving, sometimes it may be really good, sometimes it may be bad, but generally it's always comfortable, or at least it can be. So we tend to have a tough time moving from kind of one place to another, and starting businesses are always, always about that. You know, it's a time of transition, right? Uh, and transition can be hard. We talked about last week that here in this first part of Acts, and really the entire book of Acts, is about transition. One of the great transitions of all time, right? A transition from when Jesus was walking on the earth and His earthly ministry and the transition of that to the disciples and from the disciples down through the ages to us today. It's been transitioned over to us. But in the beginning of this transition, sorry, the disciples were there. And I'm sure uh, that they had some of these same emotions, you know, some uh, excitement about what was coming, you know, what they were going to be uh, involved in. I mean, let's think about it. If you're a Christian, I mean, this was one of the great businesses of all time, right? They were the the first of all the church planters. This was, this was the business of Christ, and it was a business that would go on, obviously, to change the world. So I'm sure there was a great deal of excitement going on, but I also can imagine that there was probably a great deal of fear uh, as well. I mean, if you think about it, uh, when we spoke last week, we talked about the ascension. You know, so you take it back into that time and into their mindset. They've been walking with their leader for these three years, Christ. And yet now, all of a sudden, uh, he's gone. You know, he's left them with, with great words. Uh, he's left them with, you know, his wisdom. He's told them, if you go back and study the book of Matthew and other gospels, he's told them things like, uh, we're going to build my church. It's on this rock, we're going to build my church told them to go out and make disciples, right, out of all nations. So they know what's in front of them, but I'm sure they're at this point in time now that Jesus is gone, they're thinking, okay, what now? How do we do this? How, how do we make this work? How do we survive? You know, and anybody that's 
ever went through a change and a transition has probably had thoughts like this. A new job, maybe. You know, you get there and you get settled in and you're thinking, man, was this a good idea? It seemed so good going in, but I'm so uncomfortable and now I'm a little bit afraid because maybe I don't have the, the same comfort level that I've had before. I mean, I remember my first business that I started was a, was a law firm. And I'd been, I was a young lawyer. I'd been out of school for a couple of years. And I uh, had two really kind of big clients. One was a refinery. Uh, and the other one was a finance company. And I went out on my own. And I had a couple of people come with me. Spencer was just born, barely, barely born. And uh, matter of fact, he wasn't born whenever I first started this. And I go out and I'm thinking, man, everything's going to be great. And that, that finance company was about 90% of the business. And I had all these people that had joined me. And they were there because you know, they're all looking at me. You know, you got to make this happen. I've left good jobs and now I'm here. And now what are you going to do? And, uh, and I'll never forget this one day when I get a phone call. And it is the CEO of that finance company telling me that unexpectedly, they're about to file for bankruptcy. Now... Some law firms, that would be a really good call because bankruptcy is expensive, so you can make a lot of money off of a bankruptcy. The only problem in my firm is we didn't have a bankruptcy practice. So all of a sudden, in just a blink of an eye, a client that I was depending on for 90% of our business was gone. And I just remember, I mean, I, I remember it so vividly. I remember sitting on the couch in my office just staring out the window and just wondering, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? I just couldn't, I really couldn't even barely move. I was almost paralyzed. Just, I had no idea. I had no kind of vision in my mind of how this was going to get fixed. Uh, I didn't know how we were going to survive. I didn't know how we were going to accomplish the mission. I didn't know how we were going to move forward. I didn't know how I was going to support the people that had come with me. I had no idea. You know, and I've taken a lot of heat over the years because uh, uh, of the story that always seems to go around the, the dinner tables and stuff is how I left Aaron uh, the day uh, that Spencer was born in the delivery room. So it's something we'd love to talk about and laugh about. But I did. Now, I won't say it took, you know, two days to have him. So I was not planning on those two days. I was thinking maybe this could be like a in three hours, you know, kind of out and just kind of keep going. But I had to leave that day uh, as soon as he's born. It was kind of weird. I hate to even really tell this. but So, I, I mean, literally, as he is, uh, we're sitting there, and I'm like, you know, babe, come on. <laughs> I mean, I, I've got to be out of here at 10 o'clock. That's the last possible time, okay? So I'm just telling you, you've got to have this baby in the next, you know, like eight hours, six hours, seven hours. Five. I'm just watching this clock come down because... That 10% client, okay, was a guy named Paul Foster, and he was in town, and I was taking him to the Lakers game. And we had front row floor seats for the Lakers and the Mavericks that day. And, I, and back then, it wasn't text and email and all this stuff, so I was trying to reach him. I couldn't reach him. He wasn't answering his phone. I'm like, oh, my gosh, the only 10% we have left now is going to be gone if I don't make it to, to that ball game. So I'm like, Aaron, come on. All right, so light riding on this, okay? So... Spencer comes out, I forget the exact time, but it's right at about 10 o'clock. And literally, now all the nurses know about this, everybody in the whole hospital. So, so I'm signing papers, literally, as they're cleaning off Spencer just so that I can get out the door. But I made it to the, to the ball game, and when I get there, Paul says, he's on the phone, and he says, he's talking to somebody, he's like, yeah, you'll never, understand, you'll never believe why Olson is late. It's because his wife was having a baby. So from then on, he was a good client. I never lost him, so it worked out. 
it worked out just fine. But, but transition, I didn't know what to do. When I lost that client, whenever I was sitting there and I was just wondering, how in the world are we going to survive? How are we going to make it? And I really feel like if you think about it from the disciple standpoint, it's easy to look back and see how history was told. But they had to be thinking the same thing. You know, they had to just be wondering, oh my gosh, what are we going to do? Jesus is gone. I mean, we've been walking with him. Think about the comfort. Think about the safety. Just think about, you know, the leadership and the wisdom that every single day they were walking with. And now all of a sudden, you know, he's gone. What do you do now? How do you start? How do you make the next decision? You know, how do you keep going? What, what do you do when it's everything's riding on it? What do you do? You know, and that could be big, big decisions. We'll all have big decisions in our life. But honestly, you know, sometimes it's even small decisions. And you're just wondering, what do I do? What's the decision-making process? How do, I, how do I figure out what God wants me to do? And then what do I do? Sometimes we get paralyzed, right, by just fear. We don't want to do anything. Yeah. You know, sometimes we're just like, nope, I'm just going to stay right here. Because I, 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 I'm too afraid of what's going over there. And I don't even know how really to think about that. I don't know the thought process for how to do that. And I think probably that's what the disciples were dealing with if they were really honest. I mean, they're probably looking around at each other just thinking, man, you know, who's, who's going to take charge? What are we going to do? And I think we can see uh, and give us some good guidance for, for life and decision making as we look at, at these last few verses of chapter 1. So let's start. I'm going to read and talk about it a little bit as we go. I'm going to get a drink of water to start. So verse 12, it says, um, Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. Peter and John and James and Andrew and Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, Judas the son of James, all of these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. So what's the first thing that they do after, after Jesus leaves? The first thing is they listen to him, right? He, if you go back and looked at the first part of this, what did he tell them to do? He said, go, stay in Jerusalem and wait there, right? Wait there because the Holy Spirit is about to come. So, you know, they listened to Jesus. They went over to Jerusalem, went to some place familiar to them, probably someone's home. It was the upper room where they had the, the Last Supper. And, you know, it's interesting to me, a couple of things that come out of this. It says that they were there in one accord. The disciples, the women, the mother of Jesus, and his two brothers. And it just struck me, I was thinking about this. I could have taught a whole lesson on this. And I was thinking about this. Is, isn't it interesting that at this moment, church is just being birthed, Right? You know, we didn't go through and see a bunch of rules, right, about how to interact between the men and the women. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? You know, it was later, much later, right, probably let's go over into to the Corinthians and the church in Corinth when things were going crazy, when there was division and, and, and sin run amok. It's then we needed all these rules, right? <laughs> we needed all these rules. But in this day, in this time, when the church was just being born, no rules. It says that they were all there in one accord. You know, if you look at other translations, and it says they were all in it together. You know, no hierarchy. We were all in it together. And what were they doing when they were there? 
They were praying. They came together to pray. You know, that's another thing. You could teach a whole lesson on prayer. I was thinking about just, you know, what I might say here. And then all of a sudden, you know, I kind of going back in my mind and replaying some of the things that I had read recently out in the media and I just pulled out some quotes. And uh, Stuart and I talked about this a week or so ago. I smiled the other day when I read the quote that Carson Wentz, do you know who Carson Wentz is? Quarterback for the Philadelphia Eagles. You know what he said on social media? He put this as, never underestimate the power of prayer. God longs for that intimate time with you. And you don't think God's on the move, okay? I loved it even more when he retweeted a post by Derek Carr, the quarterback of the Raiders, who is a guy that recently just signed a contract until most recently was the most the biggest contract in the history of the NFL. And what did he say when he signed it? The first thing they asked him, what are you going to do? He said, I'm going to tithe. I'm going to give it to my 10% to my church. But he posted something that was sent around. It said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I've seen with my two eyes the power of it. I know it can change lives because it changed mine. Amen. I mean, we got only 32 teams in the NFL, right? You don't think God's doing something? I had Drew Brees in there, though, too. I mean, he posted something not that long ago as well. He posted a picture, had his Bible, and had his uh, coffee mug next to it. And under that caption, he said, no better way to start the day Many to pray for this morning. I got 10% of the NFL quarterbacks tweeting out about prayer and God changing their life. But really the biggest thing to me, the biggest quote I've came, and I've, I've said this before in here, was what Billy Graham said. This one, I'll never forget this. This is, always stands out to me when I think about prayer. He said, when I look back, I realize we could have accomplished so much more if we had spent more time on our knees. I mean, my goodness, think about that. That is just so convicting to me. Every time I think about that, this is a great Billy Graham. Think about how many people he's led to Christ and all the, 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 the revivals that he's preached. I mean, just think about it. And what did he say? Man, we could have done, bless you. We could have done so much more if we would have just spent more time on our knees. You know, I pray a bunch. I try to. I mean, I just want to be closer to God. But I always think about this and I think, man, I could do more. I could do more. The Bible says we should always pray and never lose heart. Pray without ceasing. So what did they do when they get together? They prayed. And then what? Look over in verse 15. It says, in those days, Peter, Peter was taken charge, stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was in all about 120. And that 120, we don't really know exactly why that was there. If you look back in, in those times uh, in the synagogues, Anytime they were going to elect elders, it was a requirement that they have at least 120 men present. So that's probably where this came from. He says, brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus, for he was numbered among us. And that's a that's a lot right there too. He was numbered among us. I think about that and I think, man, this is somebody that walked with Jesus, walked with the disciples. Just a great reminder, isn't it? That you can be in church, you can be in Bible fellowship, you can go through the motions, but you may not know Christ as your Savior. He was numbered among us and was allotted his share in the ministry. He was, he was working side by side. Now this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness and falling headlong. He burst open in the middle and all of his bowels gushed out. And he said, if you look back in 
And Matthew, I think it says that he, was, he hanged himself, but he must have fallen to the ground and while you're eating, uh, and his bowels gushed out. <clears throat> and it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem so that the field was called in their own language, uh, Akildama, Akildama, makes sense, right? Uh, that is the field of blood. And then it says, for it is written in the book of Psalms, May his camp become desolate, and let there be no one to dwell in it, and let another take his place. So one of the men who have accompanied us during all of the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. And they put two men forward. So these two men... uh, Joseph and Matthias, we don't really know much about either of them, and they're really not mentioned again in Scripture, but that's the two that the 120 put up to be a replacement for Judas. It says, and then next, what did they do? They prayed again. Can't get too much prayer, calling out, crying out to God, and said, you, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And then, what they do? They cast lots for them. And the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the 11 apostles. So there is a ton that has been written about this last part of Acts chapter 1. Uh, many have said, what in the world were they doing? They're casting lots. In effect, some would say gambling Uh, Would you leave something so important as replacing the 12th disciple to a game of chance, is what some would say. You know, is this really the best thing to make this decision? And there has been a lot of criticism over this, a lot of people trying to explain this away. But when I look at it, I really think, is this really what they did? I mean, when I look deep at this, I really don't see it that way. I don't see it as they were casting lots and gambling and leaving it to chance. That's, that's not what I see at all. In fact, if you think about it, what's really the first thing that they did? The first thing that they did before they did anything. Even before that, what'd they do? They sought God's counsel. They went back to Scripture. That's what they did. They looked at Scripture. They said, for it is written in the book of Psalms. He's, he's telling you, he's quoting to a Scripture there from Psalm 69, verse 25. That's the first one. And the second one there, letting another take his office, is 109.8. He's quoting Scripture there. All right? He's talking about, you know, going to the Bible and seeking the counsel of God. That's the first thing they did. Even up above, he says the Scripture had to be fulfilled. You know, in making this decision, the very first thing he did is, let's see what Scripture says. Do we even need somebody else? Maybe we only need 11. But let's go see first what God's Word has to say. And if you looked at those Psalms and studied them, they're Messianic Psalms, really. One of them, you know, talks in there about, uh, about when, uh, they, when I thirst, they will give me sour wine. And if you remember on the cross, that's what Jesus said, right? He said, I thirst. And what they do? They took the sponge and they put it in the sour wine. So there's a lot of prophecy that's in those psalms. But this is what Peter and the disciples are pulling out 
in, in, in basically deciding what to do, looking to Scripture, looking to God's Word. Not really as important as what that said, but that's their first inclination. But then the second thing they did, you're right, they prayed some more. They prayed about it. They went to God. They prayed. They said, listen, show us, God. That's what it said there, right? And whenever they were crying out, it said, you, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one. They're like begging him, please, God, tell us which one to choose. You know, I read somewhere that Charles Spurgeon said that prayer is exchanging my heart for God's. I love that. I love that visual, right? That's kind of what they're doing. Like, like, tell us, give us a heart for this. You know, give me wisdom. Give me knowledge. Show me what to do. Help me, God. Help me, God. And then after that, after they had sought God's counsel, they'd went to the Bible, they went to the Old Testament, and then they prayed about it. Then what did they do? Then they acted. Then they did this casting of lots. And if you've you got to really think a little bit about the context of what that was. But it was very common at that time to do this. This wasn't something that was abnormal. And when I think about it and I look at it, the first thing I think of when I think of what they did, what was their action, it's, it's what they knew. It's the best they could do. It's, it's, you know, they, they thought they were following the best you know, line that they could, really. They thought this was the best thing that we could do. You know, they weren't trying to, to, to do anything sinister. They had, they had sought God's word. They had prayed about it. And then they just did the best they could do. I mean, I think about this, and when I was reading it, just commentary after commentary and all the criticism and, you know, just the debate over this, it was just jumping off the page at me. It's like, well, this feels like my whole life. I mean, honestly, it feels like my whole life. I, I don't know about you, but I don't ever really just know exactly what I'm supposed to do. I mean, really, I, I don't know that, you know, I wake up, I said this the other day to somebody, you know, when we were talking, I said, you know, yeah, I, I mean, I really sometimes wish the guy would just send me an email, right? Just send me an email, God. I'm trying. I want to follow you. I want to do what you're telling me, to, you want me to do. Just send me an email and just do it. Just say, okay, Scott, here's step one, here's step two. And here's step three. I don't know about you, but I never get those emails. Except from Aaron, I get them sometimes. But I never get them from God. Right? What do you do? I don't know. But you know what? Listen, I think actually if you look at this and you look closely at these, these, uh, these, the Scripture here, maybe God's telling us what to do. I mean, because if you look at both the beginning of this passage and at the end that we're studying, they kind of follow the same line of thought, right? I mean, the first thing they do when you go back up to the beginning is... You know, they seek counsel from God, from Jesus. He told them what to do. That'd be the red letter in your Bible. He spoke it. He said, go to Jerusalem and wait. They sought the advice, the counsel of God. And what's the second thing they did? They prayed. And after they prayed, they just got going. They did what they thought they needed to do. They called a meeting, put 20, 120 people together. I mean, I don't think that they knew for sure that was exactly what to do. I mean, I doubt that they you know, had like a blueprint for this is how we're going to start the church. Let's go get the 120 together. They were just doing what they thought was best. But they got going. And then if you go to the end, the same thing. They went and sought the counsel of God, sought Him out, seeking that counsel. Then they prayed about it. And then they just did the best they could. They just went out and did the best they could. I mean, to me, that the biggest takeaway from this entire scripture here is just that. It's just that, that 
in everyday life, whether it's the decisions that are just crippling to you, like, like I experienced that one day, or whether it's just making a decision every day. I think following this is our one, two, three. It's our one, two, three. First, seek God, His Word, His counsel, the red letter and the black letter in your Bible. And, by the way, seek godly counsel from others. I mean, I think that's what the 120 was about. Second, pray. Second is pray. And if you don't know what to pray, we've talked about this before. We talked about it last week. We'll probably talk about it a little bit next week. Ask the Holy Spirit. The Bible says He's there to intercede on your behalf. The power they were waiting on dwells inside of you. So seek God. Ask Him what to do. And then third, go. Act. Get on with the mission, whatever that is. Don't be paralyzed by the fear or what's next. Seek counsel from God. Pray about it. And then go. Go do, take action, you know, and trust God. That last part, trust God, because you're never going to really know what's going to happen, are you? You you can control it all you want, but you're never going to be able to really know what's going to happen. You got to trust God, because you know what the great thing about God is? He takes not only our mistakes, right, Romans 8, 28, He can take our mistakes and make them good, and He can take the evil also of this world and make it good, Right? What did Joseph say? What, you, what the world, what you intended for evil, God used for good. So whatever it is, whatever that action is, seek God, pray about it, and go do. John 14, 13 says that whatever you ask in the name of, of Christ, you will be given so that it might glorify God through the Son. So don't worry about all that, even when it doesn't even appear like it's working out right. I mean, I saw a lot of, of discussion and articles and social media about the hurricanes. Oh, is, is God mad at us? Oh, I mean, I, you listen, I don't know about any of that, but I know this, God's in control. And I know that in the midst of just great suffering in Houston and great suffering in Florida, you could also just see God all over it, right? You can see God all over it. The love of God, serving others, helping others. It was a beautiful sight. I, I sometimes look at situations like that and think, man, I hate that it takes this, but isn't it so beautiful to see the body of Christ coming together in those situations? I mean, it just, you know, again, how do we keep it going? What do we do? I was thinking, and as I was thinking about this and just, you know, just leaving it to God, I was also reading some stuff on uh, this past Monday, which was obviously the anniversary of 9-11. Um, I just can't believe it's, it's been, you know, now 16 years uh, since 9-11 and since that day. I don't know. I'm sure those that were alive can remember where they were at that day. I know I do. I had lots of friends uh, in that building and had been there myself just a week or so before, and it really hit me hard when it happened. And I was reading some things about it, and I came across an article about uh, a young man uh, by the name of Jerry D'Amato. And Jerry was just 10 years old when his father, Vincent, was killed in the North Tower. So he's now 26 years old, and he says he's spent his entire life trying to honor the death and memory of his dad. Uh, and he's done this many ways. One of the things he did recently is he went and he volunteered to help the families that uh, were part of the tragedy in Sandy Hook Elementary School uh, trying to help them deal with what he had dealt with. And last year on the 15th anniversary, he had been invited to participate in the reading of the names that they do down at the site. And when he was up there, I, I just took this quote out. He says, sometimes the bad things in our life put us on the path to where we should be going to help others as many have helped me. 
I mean, I don't know. But uh, God taking something that was tragic and horrific and using it for good. If he can use it for good in that situation, he can use it for good in any situation. So what's our role? I think it's just to follow the steps. It's our email from God. He's telling us steps one, two, and three. Seek God, pray, and act. Just get going. I can tell you this too many times we, we get this out of order. <laughs> That's for sure, right? You know, maybe we're acting. There's a great book called Home Run by a guy named Kevin Myers, and he talks about this. He talks about the, the sanctification, basically what Jarrett was talking about, progressive sanctification in, in terms of a baseball diamond. And that you should go to first base is home place, always God. First place, first base is your ethics, your morals, your holiness. And second base is your family and your support and your, your church family. And then third base is your career. And he said, you know, we always get this wrong. We just keep running back and forth to third base. And we miss first and and we miss second. I think we get these out of order, and I know I do. Sometimes I spend all of my time, all of my focus, trying to figure out my action, trying to figure out exactly what it is that I need to do. You know, what is it? What steps do I need to take? I think about it all the time. Today, what do I need to do? What do I need to accomplish? What's my goals? What's, what's my action today? But honestly, if you think about it, really, that's probably the least important of all the things on that list. Seeking the counsel of God, prayer. I mean, honestly, if you get one and two, if you're following that, three is really kind of irrelevant, I hate to tell you. There's so many ways to impact the world for Christ. And you just don't know. I mean, even when you're messing up, how God's going to take that, how he's going to use that, how he's going to bless that. You know, even when you find yourself in that really horrible spot, I've been there many times, many times. I look back over my life and I just think about the times that I was just was down and out and did not think I could go forward. And I look at how God just used that. I would have never planned on going there. I'd have never, if, if I'd have had my way and I could have stepped back and said, this is the next path, this is where I'm going, I would have never went there. But God just used it and changed me and changed others. I wouldn't go back and change it for nothing. So seek God and pray. All that other, we can't control it. We don't have to be perfect. We don't even have to be close to perfect, Right? And if we're trying to be perfect, we're going to fail, and we're going to fail, and we're going to fail. George Patton, the general, said, if a man does his best, what else is there? And I thought about that a lot, and I don't know if I totally agree with that, but I can tell you this. I know this. If, if you seek the counsel of God, get into his word, and you pray about it, and then you go out and do your best, I guarantee you this. That's all God expects. Let him take care of the rest. And then maybe there's nothing else. Then I would agree. So seek God's counsel. It's our one, two, threes. It's our email. So remember that this week. It's your email from God. Seek his counsel. Get in his word. Pray about it. And then just go. Let God take care of the rest. That's what he's there for, to help us, to guide us. That's why the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. We could conquer the world if we'll follow those three steps. Amen? Amen. All right, let me pray for us. Lord, thank you for this day. God, thank you for the Holy Spirit that dwells inside of us. Lord, thank you that when we don't know what to do, you do. So God, I pray that in Lord, the priorities of our life, I know, Lord, there's 
so much uh, to do and so much busyness and Lord, so much outside of our control and sometimes it just feels like we just have no idea which way to go. No idea what to do next. No idea what the future is going to look like. No idea how I'm going to make it tomorrow or a week, much less a year from now. But God, let's just put that in your hands. Lord, give us the, the desire, Lord, to, to know you more, to get into your word, Lord, to, to pray, Lord, to exchange our heart for yours, Lord, and then just let us go. Give us the courage, God, to go out and just be bold, knowing, God, that whatever happens, Lord, you're going to use it for your good. In Jesus' name, amen.